Last week, I was coaching a founder who was trying to improve the effectiveness of their sales presentation. And for most of my career, uh, I have sold enterprise uh, innovation engagements, usually six-figure, seven-figure engagements. So very complex sale, usually takes a long time to close it, lots of people involved. Uh, many, many steps. Uh, but, you know, over my life, you know, my first job was selling American Express cards over the phone. I've sold house painting work door to door, sold web development projects. I've sold, you know, a variety of things over the years. So while I wouldn't consider myself to be the best sales trainer in the world, you know, I've learned some patterns and I've picked up on some things. And so I tried to be as helpful as I could. And I thought that you might uh, benefit from this as well. So uh, take it for what it's worth. But these are the eight or nine uh, lessons that I've learned and, and what I shared with this founder. One major caveat on this, in order for you to do this well, you really need to understand your customer. And so when we do innovation work, uh, when I talk to startups about getting to product market fit, when I advise my students at Kellogg, uh, I always, always, always start with the customer. If you do not understand your customer's problem, it's going to be very unlikely that you will have identified the ideal solution to it. Uh, and it will be very unlikely that you'll be able to effectively sell because uh, you need to understand their problem and you need to be able to speak about that problem coherently in language that they use when they talk about it uh, in order to be effective. So the first thing you need to do is make sure that you deeply, deeply understand your customer's problem. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 until you have done that. But let's assume that you've done that and let's assume that you already have a, a presentation and you just want to try to make it more effective. So what do you do? Uh, step one is to stop talking about yourself. And this was a mistake I made for many years, but your customer does not care about you. They they care about uh, themselves. They are sitting down with you, uh, which implies that they know who you are and implies that they know that you might be theoretically capable of solving their problem for them. And so this is not the time to spend a half hour talking about your credentials and how great you are. They are the hero of the story. You are simply the guide. And so your job in this is to talk about them and to talk about their problems. And uh, when you do talk about yourself, you're focusing on the solution and how the solution is going to make their life better, not on your accomplishments and not on uh, your accolades. Um, so ditch the, the about you section and, and get right into it. Number two is I like to start with getting them to acknowledge the problem. So again, uh, you need to understand what the customer's problem is uh, in order to have the rest of this kind of flow effectively, but they're talking to you because they've identified a problem, right? And so you start by asking them, why are we meeting today? Like, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And you get them to talk and then you repeat it back to them and make sure that they agree with the problem as you have framed it. Um, a lot of sales presentations go off the rails because what you think you're solving for and what they think you're solving for are two different things. And if there is misalignment there, everything else is going to be ineffective. And so the very first thing you want to do is make sure that you get them to acknowledge the problem. It's going to align the rest of the presentation, uh, and it's going to maximize the likelihood that they're, uh, that it resonates with them and that there's not any congruency there. Number three is to agitate the problem. So what do I mean by that? Once you acknowledge, once you get them to acknowledge that they uh, have a problem and that frames the meeting, you want to ask them what they have previously done to solve it uh, and kind of go through the process as many times as it takes. So, you know, what have you tried um, to do to get your team to use your CRM software, right? Like what, what are some of the, the steps that you have tried to take and have them explain why it didn't work. And then you go through that over and over again until they kind of run out of things. And as you're going through this, you want to try to um, ask them how much 
the problem is costing them and what what those inefficient solutions or solutions that didn't work cost them as well to kind of get them even if it's if it's not quantifiable but you want to get them to internalize how difficult the problem has been to solve and why it's not been effective so far because if if they'd already solved the problem they wouldn't need you right and so it begs the question like why why has that not happened yet and so if we use this example of CRM software for professional service firms and and the problem is I can't get my team to use the CRM uh, you know, we ask questions like, well, why, why, what have you tried? And they say, well, you know, I, we tried recording a bunch of sessions for people, but they don't watch it. Or, you know, I try to mention it in all of our all hands, hasn't moved the needle. You know, I don't think I should, should compensate them for it because it's part of their job. They should just be doing it. You know, like, and what is this, what are some of the problems that are downstream of this problem? And, uh, you know, maybe I can't accurately, accurately predict my pipeline or, Maybe we land surprise work that wasn't tracked in the CRM and we somehow get it anyway, and that creates fulfillment problems for us as an organization. So you want to kind of go through that process and just really agitate the problem to get them to internalize it and internalize both all of the frustration that they've had as they've tried to solve it and then uh, to the degree that there is a direct cost or even an indirect cost, like what are some of the implications of that and, and uh, how pain, get them to really feel how painful it's actually been. So that's, you know, the first, you know, a meaningful chunk of the of the presentation, right? And once you've done that, then you present your unique point of view. And the unique point of view, I think, is a tool for differentiation. So uh, in most businesses, you have competition. And in most businesses, if you're being truly, truly honest, uh, the bulk of your feature set and the bulk of the decision-making criteria that people are using to evaluate you are going to be pretty similar. And so it's hard to kind of stand out. If you sell CRM software, again, I bet a lot of your features are going to be similar, all of that kind of thing. If you are, now this isn't necessarily true with like truly like new innovation stuff that is kind of new to the world, but let's say you're an accountant and you're trying to sell your accounting versus another person's accounting. The deliverables are going to most likely be the same. And so, you know, there's things that you can do to solve for that. And I will talk about that in future lessons around how to identify white space and things like that. But for the purposes of today, let's assume that you're relatively undifferentiated in terms of your solution. What do you do instead? You can differentiate through your point of view. And so if you if you have a compelling point of view that kind of teaches the customer something new and gets them to think in ways that are similar to you, you've now avoided commoditizing your offering and your solution becomes unique and potentially becomes the only solution because they buy into your point of view and therefore you they buy into the solution that's going to help them solve that. And so you explain to them in the point of view why the problem that they're dealing with exists and why the things that they've tried haven't worked. And it's not a function of your solution. It's bigger than your solution. It's it's a macro trend or a key frustration that's kind of endemic in, in their world that everybody uh, like them is probably dealing with, right? And you don't want to move on until you get them to agree to this idea because it's going to connect their problem to your solution in a unique way. And again, uh, position you ideally is kind of the only the only solution for what they're trying to do. So you want to create a unique point of view. Uh, so for example, using the CRM example, you could say like, that's because of the world that your partners are living in. They're not stupid. They're overwhelmed. Maybe your company got acquired by a private equity fund or whatever it is, and they have extremely aggressive goals for growth and, or even, even not. I mean, like every time I know many people that are kind of in this, in this land of professional services, you, you go and you, you're a seller, it's a seller doer model. You have to sell the work and you have to do the work every year. The clock starts over again. 
and your revenue starts at zero or your booked revenue that's attributable to you starts at zero again and maybe you have a new goal that's 10 percent more 20 percent more and that might have been pulled out from thin air because those are the growth goals that the organization has and all of this creates a tremendous amount of pressure for your partners or your managing directors to sell the work and do the work and crm feels like an administrative task that just isn't that important to them and so they're not dumb they're super overwhelmed and that's a function of the world that they live in with extremely aggressive growth goals that are not changing. That would be an example of a point of view. And you get them to nod their heads and you get them to agree and you don't move on until they buy into that idea. Once they do, then you present the solution. And where a lot of people fall down on this is they focus so much of their energy on the features of the product and not on the solution and how it solves the problem, right? And ideally, there's a through line here. Like when you present the key benefit of the solution, the key benefit ties directly to your unique point of view and ties directly to the problem that the customer has named. And so again, getting back to the imperative of understanding your customer's problem, if you don't understand your customer's problem, um, your unique point of view in the presentation isn't gonna, isn't gonna land, right? And the key benefit of the solution isn't going to land. And so that's why that work in the beginning is so important. You, you want them to feel like you, you almost read their mind uh, and that you understand where they're coming from and you deeply empathize because you've seen it over and over and over again. And so when you present the key benefit of the solution, it's informed by your unique point of view, it's informed by the customer's problem, and it's kind of your secret sauce in a way, right? It's, 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 thing that makes you relatively unique because you can you can call it your position your unique value prop but ideally it's something that only you are saying kind of in the market so yeah so like in the example of our crm perhaps we built a product that uses ai and uses you know large language language learning models and some automations and things like that where it is recording their calls and transcribing them let's say and it's capturing it's able to tease out kind of the key next steps and it's able to read their calendar and it's able to do a bunch of those things. And because it understands language, it's able to make inferences based on that and actually uh, do it intelligently. And so those, that would be the feature. But what we would sell is something along the lines of with our platform, uh, your partners will never need to log into the CRM ever, right? And so something along, that, along those lines. So you get the data you need as, a, as the person kind of managing all of this. They get to focus on serving their clients. And so you're selling them the, the the dream and selling them kind of the vision of what their life is going to be like as a result of using this. You can go into details if they probe and they ask um, about how it goes about doing that, but you want to spend the bulk of the time on selling the dream and not selling all of the steps that kind of get them there. So that's the solution. As you're going through this, another mistake that I think a lot of people make is they, they either focus on data uh, numbers or they focus on um, making promises, right? So um, it's very common to say uh, some kind of ROI estimate. And the problem with that is that everybody does it. And they, uh, in a lot of cases, have hired vendors before that made bold claims like that that turned out to be untrue. And so instead, you want to use stories. You want to tell anecdotal, personalized stories of delighted customers who had the same problem as your customer because of your point of view, and they used your solution, and now life is wonderful for them. And you want them to visualize themselves succeeding. And so the closer that these stories are to uh, your customer, the better. So the more representative they are demographically, industry-wise, company size, type of buyer, any of those kinds of things, the closer you can get to that, the better. One great story 
uh, is much better than a wall of logos that maybe don't match their business or that kind of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of data to argue that people are much more inclined to remember stories than they are to remember data. And so we want to weave stories in to our story. So in this, you know, continuing our, our example, we could say something along the lines of like our, you know, we helped, uh, we helped uh, a client at, at Preston and Associates, and they had spent 18 months trying to implement Salesforce, but they had nothing to show for it, right? And they tried every trick in the change management book, nothing seemed to work. And they were getting increasingly frustrated and, you know, felt like they had spent a whole bunch of money on a piece of, on a useless piece of software they couldn't get anybody to use. And so, you know, they implemented our platform and within 90 days, they saw a 350% increase in activity and identified 30 new cross-sell opportunities. And most importantly, their managing directors who were complaining about burnout previously were happier in their jobs uh, based on their Q2 employee survey. And so more activity logged, more potential revenue for the business, happier team, right? And so that would be a story if I'm, if assuming that the person I'm talking to uh, is at a business that's representative of that, that would be a story that would resonate with them well. Number seven is to weave in um, objection handlers, but to try to do it organically. So you probably, if you've been selling what you're selling for any period of time, you probably have a sense of what the main objections are that you're gonna run into. And so rather than waiting for that to happen over and over and over again, try to weave them into the presentation. And the reason why I like doing that is twofold. One, again, it shows that you really deeply understand the problem and you understand their fears of change. So like one of the things like, if they could have solved the problem right now without you, they would have. And so the fact that they haven't means that there's something in their way. And sometimes the thing that's in their way is fear. Uh, sometimes the thing that's in their way is risk of change. There could be any number of reasons, but those are impediments and they might be internal impediments or they might be structural impediments in the organization. And so those are going to come manifest themselves in the form of objections about why this can't work for them. And so you want to anticipate what those are going to be and weave them into the presentation itself, right? And by doing that, again, you demonstrate deep empathy for them, but then you also allow them to focus on visualizing success. I think once if you if you imagine yourself being the one being sold to, as soon as you identify an objection or a couple of objections kind of in the back of your mind, they sort of sit there and they linger. And it makes it difficult for them to be present through the rest of your conversation. And so until you can anticipate or until you can address those things, it's going to be hard for them to like fully resonate with what it is that you're doing. And so we want to try to weave those in into our presentation. So in the CRM example, we could say something like, you know, honestly, this wasn't even possible until last year, but due to our advancements in AI, we now have basically no data accuracy issues, you know, and that would hit off the objection of like, I don't trust AI to accurately transcribe stuff, right? Or maybe it's an issue around like, hey, you know, we just did that real costly and a great like implementation of, of Salesforce or whatever it is, like, I don't think our organization's gonna have an appetite for that. So you don't even, you hit that off the pass. You say like, you know, implementing a new CRM is a non-starter for most firms. And so like, we didn't choose to build a new CRM. We chose to focus on integration instead. Or another, you know, objection might be they're worried that the AI is gonna communicate with the, their potential clients <laughs> directly uh, and automatically. And so you say, you know, hey, it never sends client communication of any kind. It makes recommendations to your partners, but the partners have to be the ones to press send. So these would be examples of things that you kind of weave into your presentation to help them uh, kind of alleviate their fears. Now, it's most likely that you will get to the end of the presentation and you'll still have other objections that you need to handle. But if you have done a good job, you will have addressed some of their key ones, some of their main ones in advance. Uh, number eight is you show them a plan. So I mentioned at the beginning, you're not the hero, you're the guide, but a guide that's good has a plan. The guide has seen 
this before. You, you know, the, 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 you think about Yoda. Yoda was able to help Luke because Yoda knew uh, what Luke was going through and had already experienced it and already done it. So you want to show them that you can be that person for them. And you do that by being the guide. And so you take them by the hand and you show them exactly how things are going to unfold uh, you know, once they start working with you. And this convinces them that you've done this before. This convinces them that you've done this hundreds of times. This convinces them that you know exactly what needs to happen to make this actually stick inside of their organization and uh, how you're going to deliver on the promise that you are making. And so you show them a plan that they can uh, understand and buy into. And so, you know, again, our CRM example, you know, it's a, it's a simple integration with your CRM and it takes less than an hour for your IT folks to set up. Um, there's no changes to the underlying architecture. Uh, it works regardless of setup. And we're obviously available to help if there are any issues. And then once we do that and it's working, uh, it's just a simple plug and install into Outlook or whatever it is uh, for your partners. And um, obviously we have videos and things like that. Um, we're happy to do group trainings. Uh, we always like to start with a pilot group that tends to be most um, willing to try new stuff because we found that once they use it and they see how powerful it is, they're going to circulate it and build a lot of enthusiasm for the rest of your team. And so, you know, we'll we'll ask you to find some people who maybe aren't, um, who are a little bit more tech savvy and just more willing to experiment. They're going to find it painless and everybody in your firm is going to find it painless. But by getting them to be using it first, I'm sure you've shared reports around uh, you know, this is a you know a key problem for you. You've probably shared reports around who's tracking what and what compliance rate has been with tracking activity and all those kinds of things. That pilot group is going to skyrocket almost immediately, and and that'll be a win uh, for your partners. But uh, the big win will be when they start to see opportunities that no one else in the firm is seeing because um, the system is making those recommendations to them based on oh this person and this person probably could um, you know should be introduced to each other or this person there's an upsell opportunity here or that, and so. You want to show them the plan and just reassure them and make them feel uh, good about what's going to happen once they sign on the dotted line. And then the last one is just to ask them for the next step. So, you know, a lot of times people talk about, you know, how to close. And if you're selling any kind of complex sale or an enterprise sale, you're not going to close in that meeting, right? And so, you know, a lot of the tactics, like the real like overhanded tactics, candidly, um, just I don't think are that effective. Now, if you're selling something that you can close in a single meeting, you're selling cars, you're selling landscaping, you're selling a lot of maybe things that like a um, you know, smaller, medium-sized business might sell, then maybe that makes more sense and you should try to ask for the close. But if not, you should at least get a commitment to take a next step. Momentum is super important, right? You've done the work, they buy into the, uh, they agree about the problem, you got them uh, to really feel all of the things that they've they've tried and the cost of that, and they buy into your point of view, and then, you know, they're enamored by your solution. You want to keep the momentum going. And so even if you don't close here, you want to walk away with some kind of commitment that kind of keeps things going. And uh, and so, yeah, that that's that's kind of it. I think that that is a model for a sales presentation that is pretty adaptive and can work in a lot of scenarios. I think it's a much more human approach because it doesn't rely on a bunch of, you know, sort of gimmicky uh, closes or tricks for objection handling and things like that. Not that those things don't work, they do. But, you know, I think especially when you're in white collar kind of professional services work, I think a lot of people bristle at some of that stuff and it just feels kind of ick. And I think that's, that's why. And so um, this process I think is deliberate and systematic, it's very customizable, and it's baked in a deep understanding of your customer and their problem, and out of a desire for you to serve them as, as well as you possibly can. And so as a result, I think it's a much more human-centered sales process. So I hope you find that valuable. 
uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions about any of that, but I would love to see how you use it.